0: Welcome to the Not AFib podcast, powered by the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. My name is Mark Flauderd, and welcome to the show. In the United States, there are over 855,000 licensed and credentialed EMS professionals, EMTs, and paramedics. While there is limited data on the current mental health and mental illness of EMS professionals, it is estimated that 30% of first responders develop behavioral health conditions as compared to 20% in the general population. Exposure to potentially traumatic events, PTEs, is a common event amongst EMS professionals and reported to be between 80 and 100%, and rates of PTSD are greater than 20%. Furthermore, a survey of 982 PTE exposure was a significant predictor of alcohol use before PTSD symptoms and a predictor of PTSD. A 2009 survey of 29,282 recertifying nationally registered EMTs using the DAS 21 questionnaire resulted in 18.7% reporting mild to extremely severe depression, anxiety, or stress. Burnout has shown to result in increased absences, turnover, and decreased quality of patient care. In a 2016 survey using the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory, CBI, 2,252 EMTs and paramedics showed an average personal burnout of work burnout of 24.7% and patient burnout of 9.7%. Sleep problems in working EMTs were more prevalent than in comparison groups. A study of 1,594 working EMTs using the Epworth Sleepiness Scale, ESS, showed 70% 70 of working EMTs had at least one sleeping problem, with the most common being a risk of long sleep onset disorder. The prevalence of excessive daytime sleepiness, an ESS greater than 10, the EMTs having an ESS greater than 16. In addition, substance abuse and suicidal ideations are prevalent among EMS professionals. One study reported that 37.55% of EMS professionals contemplated suicide and 6.6% attempted suicide. Furthermore, a high percentage of EMS professionals reported using alcohol and drugs to manage work-related stress, with 11.34% using alcohol, 4.13% using illegal drugs, and 16.75% using are at a high risk for mental health problems due to the nature of their work. Efforts are underway to address mental health issues in EMS, including the implementation of peer support programs and the use of toolkits to address stress and PTSD. However, more work needs to be done to address the root causes of mental health problems. And that is an excerpt from a research project entitled Saving Our Medics by Team Mustang from the Sprint The members of Team Mustang have graciously volunteered their time to join me today, and I welcome Dan Griffiths, Operations Superintendent, Middlesex, London Paramedics Service in London, Ontario, Canada, Brent Operated, Beckley, West Virginia, Alex Pafford, Business Development, Pafford Medical Services, Ruston, Louisiana, Mark Sellepec, Division Manager of Operations, Falk Emer- Mobile Metal Health, Men- Met Mobile Health Corporation, San Diego, California. Kimberlyn Tehan, Battalion Chief, Mobile Integrated Health Division, St. Charles County Ambulance District, St. Peter's, Missouri. And Chris Winger, Division Chief of Field Operations, Johnson County, Kansas, Med Act, Olathe, Kansas. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks,
0: Mark. First off, uh, I want to start with uh, the impetus for your project. What made you decide to pursue this particular topic?
1: I think Dan's probably the best answer to that. I was going to say, that's a
2: Dan question.
3: (laughs) Well, um, let's see. Uh, as with most people, I guess I am the sum of my experiences. Um, so I've I've had some uh, tough times in the last few years with colleagues experiencing some uh, really um, difficult challenges brought upon them by their experiences in the workplace. Um, I like to perver- I, I, I've I've come to refer to it as the perverse paradox of our profession. Um, each of us gets into this profession. Uh, out of a desire to help, out of a desire to reduce suffering, to uh, if we can uh, limit or reduce harm. And in the course of doing so, uh, we, uh, this is the paradox, we very ironically uh, bring harm upon ourselves. Um, Our industry has done, a uh, historically, has done a very poor uh, job of watching for each other in terms of our mental health. Um, So, In the last couple of years, I've lost a couple of uh, colleagues uh, to uh, suicide. A couple of other colleagues have passed away uh, following PTSD diagnoses that uh, resulted in uh, substance abuse, and then uh, their subsequent um, poor health and uh, death followed soon after. So I've had some exposure to this, unfortunately, on a personal and professional level It affected me. I began the process of thinking about a lot of this probably well over a year ago, um, and I started to frame it in terms of um, how we tend to look after our health in general. I mean, our healthcare system emphasizes prevention. Upstream approaches um, are constantly uh, part of the dialogue, part of the narrative, whether you're talking about cardiovascular health, uh, uh, cancer screening to catch cancer early and have better outcomes. And yet, our mental health, we seem to wait until the crisis erupts. Uh, these insults occur uh, for medics repeatedly throughout their career as exposure to these PT, uh, PTEs uh, uh, mounts one after another. And in our presentation at ASM, I likened it to a dripping faucet um, that just slowly drips away into a receptacle. Uh, your receptacle might be bigger than mine, but it, it ir- irrespective of the size of your receptacle, eventually it will fill. Um, that's when the measures that we have in place tend to come into action somewhat, I might add, because even that is a, our track record. There's a little bit spotty still. And at that point, the options become very limited. And, um, uh, I won't touch on that too much. I'll leave that for Kimberlin, Kimberlin, because she did such a great job, uh, interviewing a therapist and talking about, uh, why it's important to catch people in this process early. So I came into ASM with, with all of this on board, uh, and I, I knew we were going to be put into groups into research to research something, to come up with a research topic and a research paper. So when we were put into our groups, we had our roundtable. We had a little bit of discussion about a, a variety of different topics that we might have considered. I waited for uh, an opportunity, and, uh, and, I, and then I jumped in. Uh, my, I gave the pitch to the group, uh, much as what I'm saying right now, very similar type of things. Um, I was quite passionate about it. I think they could see that. Uh, this is uh, it's uh, it's deeply affected me and I and I, I have I, I have family members that suffer from mental illness as well so it's it's close to my heart uh, so I was very very fortunate that fate stepped in and put me in a uh, remarkable group of individuals who were willing to indulge me and willing to take that leap off the off the edge of the cliff into the unknown there's not a lot of um, as, as the paper, Uh, clearly states there's a paucity of research into these areas most of it in terms of early intervention most of it focuses on teenagers and um, early diagnosis for things like psychosis or schizophrenia what have you very and all very worthy causes worthy forms of uh, research but nothing in terms of uh, screening for uh, early signs or markers of distress in individuals from a mental health perspective really not nothing out there uh that that came, uh, came to light through our research. So there, there was an obvious need. Um, jumping into a research project like that, where you're sort of jumping into the unknown and you're expected to produce something at the end, uh, something of value, something with uh, strong content. Uh, I wanna laud my group, I wanna really applaud them. Uh, it took some courage to do that. Uh, it was a bit of a high risk, high reward sort of project. And um, they showed a lot of bravery and a lot of commitment. So I, I'm, I'm really pleased with the outcome as the project leader. Uh, this is an amazing group of people, and it is my sincere hope that going forward now, uh, whether, whether screening tools look anything like ours or look completely different is, is really irrelevant. Um, I think the, the relevant point here is to disrupt that perverse paradox, change the paradigm, shift the conversation, and come up with methodologies that will, um, based on best practice and, and the and the best known science of the day, uh, come up with something where we can actively monitor our, our people, our members, uh, monitor how they're doing, and then provide them with the resources through some self-directed means as early as possible. And therefore, give them as many options as, as are possible at the time and build that resiliency so that they can better cope as they proceed. Career and have a have a long healthy career. How many paramedics do we see retiring after a thirty-year career, relatively happily, not on short-term disability, not, not transitioning to long-term disability? It just it just doesn't happen. Wouldn't it be nice if we could live in a world where that does happen with regularity? So that that was just, uh, the impetus came from um, where the with whole thought process on my side. And as I say, lucky lucky for me, I I was blessed to be placed with a great group of people who put their faith in what I was saying, and I put their faith in the project, and they really threw themselves into it. I couldn't be clear with the outcome.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. Uh, y- your group w- was fantastic, and as, as we'll hear as we go through uh, each individual contribution to the project, uh, you hit the nail right on the head, um, and it's directly from your paper. Most of the industry response being focused on downstream approaches doesn't attempt to prevent harm sooner. Uh, everything, and, and I, I can't speak for all your agencies, but everything here at my agency, unfortunately, is reactive. Uh, it is what have, what to do after the event occurs. Uh, there isn't anything proactive uh, to prevent uh, the cumulative effect. Uh, and you mentioned it in your paper as well. The two types of stress that most of the first responders see: uh, there's that one sentinel event, the the nine eleven, the the Oklahoma City bombing, the the Newtown uh, Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, or most of uh, the responders that do have mental health issues, it's a buildup over years. You you mentioned you don't see that 30-year paramedic because of the buildup of events that ultimately lead to the mental health issues. Um, You mentioned Kimberlyn and her uh, conversation uh, with the uh, clinician. So we'll go ahead and jump right over there. Uh, Kimberlyn, what did you learn uh, when you spoke to the clinician uh, regarding uh, mental health and uh, care Uh, for first responders having uh, mental health issues?
2: So um, when we talked as a group, we said that we needed to have professional counsel because we aren't licensed professional counselors or psychiatrists. So I reached out to the licensed practical counselor that my department and several other agencies work with uh, who specializes in first responders. And I talked to her about the project and the need of what you guys have already addressed We're not being proactive. We wanted an early detection tool. So as a community paramedic, we have some tools that we use that are recognized nationally, used in mental health providers, hospitals. So uh, Valerie Beeson discussed some options that we suggested to her. But one of the things that hit home when I talked to her about first responders is she talked about the challenges she has as first responders, we're terrible patients, right? We're terrible at taking care of ourselves and our mental health is no different. So first responders wait to call her when they're in crisis. If you wait till you're in crisis, the psychiatrist and people she has in place to work with have very limited appointments. So you don't have very many resources to give that person. If you wait till someone's in crisis, they need something right here, right now. So our goal is to change the culture we're wanting mental health check-in using an easy tool at your disposal that's a self-assessment of your mental health so she mentioned some examples of uh, first responders problems so we all know that eap peer support cism they're all wonderful tools that our departments use but some of them have flaws when you talk about waiting till you're in crisis. uh, She mentioned a first responder that came to her that called EAP. They followed the guidelines they were told to. They told the EAP representative what was going on and that individual started crying. So when a first responder calls somebody in need and the person on the other end of the phone hears what you're going through and they start crying, that first responder was humiliated and said they would never call them again. So there are good things with EAP, but those are some of the suggestions of things that she said of why they either don't call her at all or they wait till I need help right now. So the tools we chose were three different tools. We wanted it to be short, easily accessible. So it's a QR code. And it's got three tools, the personal health questionnaire, which is a depression score, it's a two question depression score. The GAD score, which is a two question anxiety score for generalized anxiety. And then we chose a five question PTSD score that's from the VA. These are all scores that are used to cover all the bases of what you guys have talked about. It covers unhealthy habits of first responders with the PTSD. Are you binge drinking? Are you reclusive? Are you not going out? Do you have signs of depression? Do you have signs of anxiety? So we felt as a group and Valerie Beeson also agreed that we kind of covered all the bases of early signs and all those symptoms and mental health with our first responders. So this 10 question self-assessment would be posted at all your stations. It'd be in private rooms, it'd be out on your station boards. And all the first responders have to do is scan that QR code. And at the end of it, there's links to all of the services that they need. You can keep it anonymous where it's just a self-assessment or if your department wants to take it one step further, you can do whatever you want with it. It could go to peer support. It could go to certain people. This is just another tool in your tool belt to try to have people realize, you know what, I think I'm doing some unhealthy habits or you know what, a month ago, I didn't rate high on the depression score, but I'm off the charts today. Maybe I need to reach out to someone. So this is just kind of that awareness of keeping our mental health in check before we get to crisis level.
3: If I could just add awesome. something, um, go ahead, Dan. Our department is uh, currently trialing uh, an app. Okay, um, I won't say who the vendor is, uh, out of respect to the uh, to the company that's graciously allowed us a one month trial on this. But I, I think it it highlights the difference between what we propose, a few of the other things that are emerging out there. This particular app re- requires that I access it almost on a daily basis to build resiliency. Um, I applaud it. It's based on science. Um, you can't argue with that. The problem with it is first of all, anything that's app based is buried on your phone with everything else. And I found every time that it would give me a notification when I went to my phone that, Hey, how are you doing today? Should check in and let's let's work through some exercises. There's a couple of problems with it. First of all, uh, It'll pop up at the most inopportune times. I'm accessing my phone for something else. I'm not really interested in that right now. So the tendency is to swipe it away and I'll get to that later. But then later never comes. Or if later does come, I'm spending 10 minutes working my way through all of these different uh, topics that I have to read, all these different things that I have to accomplish to get today's tasks done in order to continue to educate myself on what it means to be mentally resilient. So there are some other interesting approaches out there, but what I really, really like about what we've developed is that it's convenient, it's fast, and QR codes can be, as Kimberlyn said, completely ubiquitous throughout your entire service, which will help with destigmatizing this entire uh, process of checking in on on your own mental health and that of each other. You can have it on the dashboard of the truck, you can put it on the laptops, you can put it in the lunchroom, you can put it wherever you like. It gives the the end user has the choice. Of whether or not he or she wants to access that uh, questionnaire in a public setting in front of their partner, or do I want to wait until I'm in the change room all alone and it's and it's posted somewhere in there, maybe on the on every other locker or something, and I can I can access it in there privately. Um, this other um, app that I'm working with right now, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to give a recommendation to our department that I, I just I just don't think people will stick with it. People have very short <laughs> attention, very busy. Um we're we're cognitively overloaded with so many things in our lives right now. Uh, that's why we went for such a short question that just
0: started. Okay. Um so obviously with any type of uh submission uh such as you described, whether it's a QR code, uh whether it's the survey, there's some questions obviously regarding privacy uh and potential uh human resource implications. Uh, Brent, I believe that was your uh, area of research for the project. Uh, talk about what you found regarding those uh, eight potential implications.
4: Yeah, I mean, and and as I a, a lot of my approach early on, just because I'm, I'm relatively new to the industry um, as in, in general, and I, I haven't spent much time on the truck or, and ran many calls. So um, it was a lot of listening to all the different perspectives that this group has, you know, has from location, geographic location to services and, and, and the differentiations of, of, of our services that we, that we're in. Um, and so I wanted to be able to contribute in a certain factor and, and, and the HR background was, was some that I'm, I'm comfortable talking to. And so, um, in, in the paper and in the project, you know, one of the things we wanted to look at is, and, and, and Kimberly's already mentioned on it and Dan's mentioned on it as well, uh, what's, understand the current environment around the mental health structure and how we're, um, approaching that, whether it be, um, the EAP line and, 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 um, the peer support groups and those various things. And, and like you mentioned, Mark, um, a lot of those are the reactive approach. And, and you mentioned, uh, from your services standpoint, that's similar to ours. You know, it, it's not that we want to wait. It's just, that's, that's kind of when we hear about it. Um, and so that that's, that's the piece that we were um, working to, to discuss in the, in the project. So, um, and those are great tools, um, but, but it's after the fact, and, and that kind of defeats the purpose of, of the objective with the, with the screening tool. To, to on. Um, and so then we try, I transitioned the HR piece to, um, the implementation impl- implications of, um, what the tool would mean and, 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 it all basically boils down to garnering that trust within the workforce to understand um, if they're walking past that QR code that there's no sort of implementca- implications. Nobody's judging them. You know, it's a stigma-free environment to understand. Hey, I, I just kind of I'm, I'm feeling off, today. and and hey, let me let me do this. And and so there's there's training that's got to be done for the manager supervisors to know um, when they get that response at the end of their survey. If somebody approaches them with that question, understanding early on where where the direction is to get that help and what that help looks like, and so um, and, and a, a big piece to that as you go through it is is one thing I've learned from from our service specifically is we have a lot of folks that have been in the industry for a long time that they will immediately jump out and help somebody if they can see that they're you know something's off they ran a bad call. And, and specifically in our location, where we're servicing, um, you know, majority of the state of West Virginia, um, and this was a piece that I brought up to our group. A lot of our people that are responding to these calls, it may be a family member, it may be someone they know in the community, it may be someone they know in their local neighborhood, and so those have a different sort of implication. That um, it, it's there's there's a deeper underlying message to that, and that's like Kimberlyn said, when when they do reach out and they they take those confidentiality services, the, the EAP services, the EAP counselors might not understand how to handle that specifically. Um, and so then it gets us into um, just the the professional services that are available currently. And, and it, it's, I know we're discussing the EMS, but it's an overall conversation for all industries. Um, you know, we have partnerships with various, um, you know, services throughout the state of West Virginia. Um, But that's really it. And there's only probably three that we are able to utilize. So if those three aren't fitting the need for our individuals, then where else are we able to send them? Um, And we've looked at virtual options, but there's also that it's not a one size fit all bucket because virtual option may not be as good for someone as it as it is to sit down face to face and have these conversations. So um, there are a lot of the H.R. implication piece was really identifying, you know, the confidentiality that's necessary for it, the training um, that's needed uh, and the communication and education that's needed for uh, you know, the frontline supervisors because they're the ones that will see it the most, um, but then understanding all the additional challenges that there are. Um, and, and I know a lot of it sounds like, hey, we're calling out the problem, but we're not, from an HR standpoint, we're calling out the problem, but we're not identifying a solution. But that's where this screening tool You know, as Dan mentioned, whether it's the screening tool that we recommended or another screening tool, it's getting that conversation started and identifying a solution uh, to help these things. And so um, that was a that was a large piece of the um, of the and and another item that I that I just jotted down before we got on the call. We've been going through a lot of calls, uh, getting ready for open enrollment. It's that time of year for the plan year of 24 and specifically having discussions on our plan design on how can we improve our mental health coverage within the insurance plans, because we'll offer, um, I think ours is up to the three services, three visits um, for all of our employees that the company will provide. But after those three visits, if they want to continue those services, you know, our insurance might not be covering that. So we need to be able to provide from a resources standpoint, employee benefits standpoint, that uh, they know that they can continue to get these services when, when they need them. And so that's a big piece, and it's a continuing conversation. Like Dan said, this is um, this group—the perspective of, of all the different locations and the, the backgrounds and experiences—was a fun group to be a part of.
0: Yeah, you represent uh, a, from basically from coast to coast. Uh, you have Mark out in California, uh, Brent. You're over on the East Coast in West Virginia. Dan, you're in Canada. Um, Alex, you're in the South uh, down in Louisiana. Uh, Chris and Kimberlyn are in the Midwest, so you have a a vast majority of the country represented. Um, So in order to to understand the the relevant factors affecting the providers, um, you, your group, uh, your team uh, put out a survey. Um, Talk to us a little bit about uh, how you developed the survey and what were the different components of the survey. uh, And did anything surprise you in the results you got back from the survey? So I was over the survey for all of the group project. We
5: were surprised with the response that we got. We got over 750 responses, kind of taking the temperature of what providers across the United States are looking like. So every single participant in the group went and um, printed off QR codes. They put it in their local stations and at will participation understood various factors that are relevant to people's mental health. And we wanted to see, you know, we, we see all of the research that exists from the, you know, the last 10 years that that does a decent job of painting the picture of what it looks like. Everybody knows that it's it might not be the most uh, positive outlook on mental health. That, that's not something that we don't know. But <clears throat> the first thing we wanted to do was segment and understand what population groups. So, it, you know, how, how long have you been in EMS, you know, with the understanding that the longer you've been in, EMS, the longer you have time to kind of develop these bad habits that lead to you know, a in most cases, a faster paced degeneration of your mental health. So um, over 40%, which is kind of an interesting finding, over 40% of the respondents were, had been in EMS for less than five years. So it kind of helps paint a picture that possibly after five years people either find another career path or are less uh, likely to take the QR code survey to help understand the, the findings. Uh, we were interested in, in uh, how often do you, does a respondent drink alcohol or do drugs? Do you currently, um, do you currently drink and how often? Uh, have you ever, one of the questions that we asked is, have you ever felt down, depressed, or hopeless during your EMS career? And <clears throat> only 13% of respondents stated that they'd never feel depressed or hopeless in their time in EMS. So have you had suicidal ideations? Have you ever felt that there's been a negative impact in your life due to being involved in EMS? 63% of respondents stated yes, that they feel it has some negative impact on their uh, life. And we asked kind of an a, a end cap to this, this questionnaire was, if there was a readily available tool to help assess your your current mental status, 73% of respondents stated yes. And the real interesting uh, implication of that would be 27% of respondents still feel that that understanding their current status would not have any positive implications, which that was kind of a big talking point between the group of of what does that look like if 27% of people still choose not to not to even be involved or have a resource to be looked at. Um overall it, it was it was eye opening to have so many respondents and people people were excited to to be involved in this project from you know their input so
1: I think to hey. mark the um you know with with the survey and with our span across the US and in, involving Canada too um that we were with that survey we were able to get quite a quite a cross section of the industry. And, you know, to Alex's point about the, the five year um, point, the other, the other aspect of that, not only is it, you hit that five year mark and you're out, but um, we also have, as many of us know, we're a very young industry suddenly. And we have a lot of um, people and kind of coming from my perspective who, um, you know, are entering into a a job where they're going to be exposed to, situations and human emotion and trauma that 99% of the rest of the population will never experience in their life. And so I think it continues to highlight the need to um, further this topic of getting in front of it because we have a whole generation of providers and clinicians starting um, that are basically being thrown to the wolves. And we all know from when we started, it was, oh, just rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine tomorrow. You'd go out for the next call. Um, and that with, with this we're we're kind of, it's a good time to be having this discussion as an industry. Um, and I kind of feel like, you know, as we've talked a little bit about, um, the past and Dan alluded to with the, uh, the prevention early intervention, um, research that's out there that EMS and mental health are a little bit in parallel as far as their, their growth. And um, you know, EMS is coming out of its adolescence into its young adulthood as a as a as an industry and as a profession, uh, being recognized. And we're kind of at a, at a really cool tipping point for kind of an explosion of different aspects and how we really examine um, as a nation and probably internationally as well how EMS is delivered and what does that mean. But also, mental health, particularly for us, has really become less of a stigma it's okay to um, to admit, hey, I've got ADD, uh, you know, I've got a little OCD, um, you know, to have those discussions and, and be open about that, you know, that, that call really, really affected me, um, and I'm, I'm kind of down about it, and 10, 15, 20 years ago, we couldn't have had those conversations at the station, and so as we, as an industry, are getting ready to explode kind of operationally and clinically, we're also seeing that mental health is now able to be talked about and able to be assessed um, like it never has been assessed before. And while we're not finding a lot, and we didn't find a lot as far as this project for uh, history of, of early intervention methods um, outside of that, that small population that Dan mentioned with the kind of the teenage uh, bipolar psychosis scenarios, young adults, um, we're in an opportunity to do that. And um, we've kind of talked about how we hope that this project and this tool, it may not look like what we put out, but at least it's something. And, you know, kind of Dan, I think, was the one who really brought this phrase up. It's its a call to action for us as an industry. No matter how it looks, uh, whatever and whatever effort we're doing, let's get ahead of this uh, because it is truly saving our medics. It's um, saving our friends, our coworkers, um, and really an extension of our of our EMS family. As we do this and however that looks but the you know the the tool and the the, uh, survey that we put out really kind of put that into framework and also at the end of it uh if there'd be willingness to participate and about three quarters said absolutely they'd be willing to participate which is promising that
0: we're kind of again
1: the tides are changing and that it's okay to talk about mental health and emotions
0: Chris I couldn't agree with you more you you hit the nail on the head uh earlier in your, uh, in your discussion uh, that it's a, it's is in the fire based EMS, it's a young man's game. Um, and with the younger people coming into the profession, they are more aware of the mental health issues and the, the importance of their mental health. Um, and you're exactly right. I got, I started here at my service 23 years ago. Um, and if we went on a bad call, it was the old adage, rub some dirt on it and get back out there and, and run the next one. So you're exactly right, Chris. But now as we've progressed, it's kind of become the situation where we preach about mental health. We're trying to remove the stigma, as you mentioned, from the mental health. In some areas, it's it's more important or it's a more uh, a progressive than others. But I think as uh, and I hate to use the term, but unfortunately, I'm going to as the dinosaurs uh, leave the industry and the younger folks that are aware of mental health or a supportive of mental health come up into the ranks, I think it's going to become more uh, more recognized and more easily acceptable for people to say, hey, I'm having a hard time with this call. I need some help. And the, the support system will be in place so that they can get the help that they need before it becomes a crisis situation. Right.
2: Uh, and, and, oh, go ahead, Chris.
1: I was going to say, in circling back kind of what Brent was talking about, with the HR and this is where my organization is struggling. And when I get back from baby leave, I'm gonna uh, work on in earnest is those tools that we give to, to supervisors and managers of, okay, someone has taken the tool and recognized or, or has just recognized on their own that I need help. Where do we send them? And we've heard all the failure stories. I mean, Kimberlyn brought up that great one of, of EAP. And so it, again, with kind of trying to, that, um, in some ways, we our survey is a little bit of the cart before the horse that we're I'm finding out for for me personally and in my organization. And as you talk about the dinosaurs, it just it was never a need. And you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. And so, how do we begin to get these culturally competent uh, clinicians that speak the language, that know the culture, and uh, have those resources to send that newer generation and the current, um, you know, the the dinosaurs? Too. I mean, Dan needs to go talk to somebody every now and then as well. Um, but uh, the uh, uh, trying to come up with that and how that looks, because you know, from as an employer and as a as an executive, um, it's great that we have this tool and putting this energy on it. But where do we send them? And um, we've I've been talking to our uh, we're a county based organization, so I'm talking to our, our cohorts in mental health, and where do they send their clinicians? and kind of using that as a a springboard to try to figure out how do we do this, but it also comes back to funding. And in the state of Kansas, um, mental health issues alone are not covered under workers' comp. You have to have a physical injury and mental health to get mental health covered. And that's something that the Kansas uh, EMS Association is lobbying very hard for to get that that statute changed and and allow that, but I think that we're that is part of what as, as this call for action, again, kind of going back to that phrase that Dan put out there, um, uncovering kind of all these different parts of this. And it's it's a lot more convoluted, but in um, a lot more work um, to get it get ahead of it. But we have to create those mechanisms and get that education to those supervisors that Brent so well uh, so high, so well highlighted in his uh, kind of HR components.
2: Right. I was yeah. just going to add, Mark, that this tool is just bringing mental health awareness. We're trying to do a culture change. So when you talk about the young people, we even talked in our group when we were brainstorming of all new employees taking the survey and kind of getting a baseline of where people are, having the supervisors say when we have monthly trainings, hey, everyone do your mental health check-in. Make this the norm. Make this okay to do a check-in. It's still private. It's still anonymous, which is what first responders need. They might not want it sent to anybody, but if they can anonymously check in on themselves and you tra- you kind of train this younger generation to be more aware, then we can save a lot more lives. I'm not sure like Mark said us dinosaurs have any chance that have been around for a while but Valerie Beeson reiterated if she can catch somebody early showing early signs of depression PTSD anxiety uh, unhealthy habits of dealing people basically that are not coping which is what we're talking about not being able to cope with the stressors of this job she has So many more resources at her disposal. When it's not an emergency visit, when someone can wait one week or two weeks, she has so many more providers and tools that she can give that person. So giving them the tools, whether it's counseling or a new way to deal with their issue, that's what's going to save them.
3: I would like to to, to sex London paramedic service. When I said earlier that uh, I've been trialing this app that I'm not a huge fan of. That's only one part of what my service is currently uh, undertaking. Um, what's incredible about what we're doing right now, which ties into this whole concept of uh, prevention, action, screening. Um, we are currently working with the University of Western Ontario here in London, Psychology Department, on some research into all of this. So watch for that. I think it could be groundbreaking. Um, but what is actually now actionable in our service, which I applaud and I uh, fully support, uh, we have uh, triggers set for our peer support um, network and those certain calls, those certain triggers at least will initiate within 24, I think it's within 24 hours, a phone call from a uh, therapist team, Irris- irrespective of whether or not the, uh, the medic actually wants the phone call, they're getting a phone call and uh, a, a discussion will be initiated. Uh, what happens after that phone call that's that's up to the individual in question uh, but they will at least get that phone call after certain events are triggered it's 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 modeled on something that's been around for quite some time in police departments and I think fires had it in a number of jurisdictions over the years but that's another example of where something our screening tool initiates those types of discussions where services can tailor what they what's available to them as Chris highlighted that there are availability issues. There's a lot of issues tied up in this, HR issues, as Brent talked about. This is not a simple uh, endeavor at all. But the screening tool we've created, the hope is that, um, and through venues like this, thank you, Mark, for, for bringing us on board with uh, this, this podcast, the more publicity this type of approach uh, can get its hands on, the better. Uh, and then service by service, you can tailor your needs to what you think your people will respond best uh, such as what is what Millsex London Paramedics is currently embarking upon.
0: Yep, yeah, you're exactly right, Dan. Uh, Mark, I don't want to leave you out, so uh, make sure. Uh, just want to talk to you, talk about what you contributed to the project, what you learned, um, and, and and how this might apply in um, your service. Well, thank you for your intro. You
6: basically uh, explained my part of the um, project. Here was collecting the data. <laughs> So just to go with the data itself, we focused on four areas um, from previous research studies here. We, it was EMS focused, uh, had a high number of participants or respondents, and uh, it was the most recent data and as you mentioned the surveys the questionnaires were the ones that are widely accepted in the medical and behavioral health industry so you know what we found the information was quite alarming it is a crisis um in doing this research the one that stood out the most most interesting study that i found was the ptes the uh, potentially traumatic events the study focused on 27 different types of calls you know from the pediatric cpr violence towards the providers large mcis unusual deaths um and through this study, it, of those 27 types of calls, it showed a strong correlation. The more exposure to the PTEs that that continued drip into your jar, your receptacle, it showed a strong correlation to alcohol abuse and in turn, development of PTSD. With PTSD, strong correlation with increased alcohol abuse, drug use, and prescription uh, medication use. So just through all the different studies, it, it just showed that there was a strong, it's a crisis. Um, and going back to the original survey questions, you know, as as Alex mentioned here, we have a good representation of all areas of, of experience, 20 plus years, 11 to 20, six to 10. And as Alex mentioned, about 40% was five years or less. And then with the final question being, would you utilize a easy to use, easy access QR code, just to check in on your mental health? And it's great. Three out of four, 75% said yes. So this is very promising for the proactive approach. Now, here in San Diego, our peer support team, our mental health awareness, we're really tied in with the city of San Diego. We, there's an app that already exists. Uh, when you access it, it really goes through a lot of questions. So for ours, uh, confining it down to 10 questions, QR code being anywhere, in the break room, in the bathroom stalls, in the ambulances, easy to access, uh, confidential, is, is shown to be very promising. This is in development right now with the city of San Diego, which will also be utilized for FALC San Diego.
2: That's wonderful, Mark.
0: Fantastic, yep. Mark. Great news. Yep, that is outstanding. That's outstanding. Um, so you, you, you've all mentioned the screening tool. So let's kind of look at the screening tool. It's divided into three parts, as you mentioned. Um, the first part is uh, the GAD survey, um, which is two questions. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about what GAD stands for and um, how you developed that, that particular component.
2: So that's a generalized anxiety disorder score. So that's one that's used across the world with mental health providers, primary care providers. So we wanted to use something that's already peer reviewed, already out there, we don't wanna to have to create something. So don't reinvent the wheel. We also used the PHQ-2, which is a personal health questionnaire. That's the two question depression score. There's a PHQ-9, but that dives deep into more severe depression. Remember, this is early detection. So you're just mm-hmm. looking to touch base. Are you showing signs of this? And then the last one is the VA's PTSD score. And that's the one that covers the unhealthy habits. Am I binge drinking? Do I have an incident that caused symptoms of PTSD? So there's more scores out there that are more robust. But when you're talking about paramedics and our short attention span and early detection, you don't need to go into the lengthier ones. That's when you already have a diagnosis. And someone that has high scores in these The next step would be to take a longer one. But when you're talking about catching something early where someone might not have a diagnosis, then that's why we went with the shorter ones. So these are already established and already out there. So if you told the doctor a person scored this, they're going to know what you're talking about. So that's why there's no need to recreate new scores and make up our own because they apply to all individuals whether you're in our industry or not that are used in the mental health world. All psychiatrists they would know what you're referring to. So that's why we went with those scores.
0: makes perfect sense makes perfect sense. So uh, in an ideal world if you have this survey um, you you click the QR code, you take the survey and it comes back maybe with results that indicate, you might need, uh, you might be heading towards a crisis. What would be in place in order to get resources or direct that person to the proper resources?
2: So we discussed adding links to peer support, crisis hotlines. So any department could add, you could add 20 links. So each department, it's their decision based on kind of what Brent's discussed and Chris has already discussed of what how do you want to take that do you want to keep it anonymous do you want to list the peer support names of who to contact there would be a disclaimer that's at the end of all those tests already that if you scored this you should seek mental health services and then it would have all of those resources at their disposal but as mark mentioned in is it la county mark that had the one you showed us where you just if you test poorly it takes you to another link for resources so you could take it you can make it as complex or as simple as you want that's where brent comes in is talking about what's the hr implications what's the minimum that you need for liability for your department to be comfortable putting this score out there
0: and i think that would be a concern for someone taking the 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 survey would be who's going to find out or who's gonna get it, who's gonna know the results, and how is my privacy gonna be protected? Um, so I think and, and Brent, I think you touched on that with the HR implications when you talked about it earlier. Right. And then and, and that's
1: a the
4: that's a massive piece of the next step as 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 Chris mentioned too, on on you know, where where does that information go and, and who gets it, and, and as you mentioned. So and it, it's it's tough to necessarily, you know, put it on maybe a green, yellow, red scale or put it on some sort of Likert scale to say, hey, you're you're right here right now. So let's just have a basic level discussion um, and then say, hey, you're you're kind of in this medium range. There's there. There could be something that's that that's that's let, let's dig a little deeper and kind of get an understanding. And then it's, hey, we're you're at this end of the scale. We need to really have a conversation. And, and, and so that's that's a piece of where the continuing of the conversation needs to, needs to happen of the services that are offered. And, and I think Chris did a good job on, on touching that from um, all the different types of ideas that, that are that are there for, and it all comes back to the comfort of the team member being able to say, I'm going to take this and here's the response. And, you know, there's a level that individuals have to accept that response um and and so then it's then it's how how to navigate that whether it just immediately directs you to the HR department and and there's somebody there that that can give you a basic level we're not giving you any sort of um psychological ad, 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 advice or anything like that because that's not necessarily our background we're here to to guide you and help you get to to where you need to be and so that that's a that's a piece that you know, if we had longer than I, I can't remember what the full length of our project ended up being. But if we had extended amount of time, I think that's where the areas, if we saw this. project progress, Those are those are key focal points that would need to be answered um, to really roll out efficiently and, and successfully.
3: I think, Mark, that's why uh, we went the direction we went. Um, if you keep it confidential. Uh, I think we've got it set up actually you can put your address in the screener and uh, it just sends the results to you and you alone and I think that's how you get buy-in from staff when you let them know the lawyer is not involved in this there is no data tracking it's a dead-end site it only goes to your email and it's for you and you alone once you get the buy-in and, and you change you begin that cultural shift within your organization That's when further down the line, you start to engage with uh, your representatives to, um, uh, you know, in terms of your collective agreement, your union uh, staff representatives, you start talking to them about things such as, hey, we would like to track this anonymously in terms of from a data perspective, for example, so that we could better target the services that we are offering to you, the staff. Uh, That's something that happens down down the road. Um, because, so we basically viewed this as a, as a progressive approach, uh, an incremental approach to, uh, implementing, uh, mental health initiative in the workplace, uh, with the screening tool amongst the other tools that, that of course, uh, services are trying to implement.
1: It's definitely very much of a customizable or, or and need to be customizable for the, um, the agency and, or, and, or area, um, the old adage, if you've seen one EMS agency, you've seen one EMS agency because it is so different and um, trying to uh, give those those resources at the end of it uh, the survey and I think kind of for me it's a bit of we're leading the horse to water and I think Brent kind of alluded to that you know there's got to be a a mutual uh, buy-in from this and I completely agree with Dan in the um, aspect of our, our intent I think Putting this out there is that it is completely confidential, and it only goes to the that employee, the person taking the test or the assessment, because um, you know there is a lot of issues there with just trust. Um, you know, Big Brother always watching, and then kind of from the manager side and the HR side is that even the um, the perception or the chance of it being perceived as retaliation or treating someone differently because of a protected class. Um, type of scenario when it gets to mental health uh, and to keep your supervisors and managers and executives out of that hot water that arena um, with that so keeping it um, confidential and providing as many resources but probably pretty darn specific um, to uh, your area um, are is the what, what you would get at the end of the day with that email I think Brent had to
0: leave us. Yeah. So Dan, you mentioned you have something at your agency, a couple things in work. Uh, Mark, I think you mentioned something uh, as well. What has been the leadership at your organization's response uh, to the? Obviously, they they ha- they have been supportive. Uh, have they thrown their full weight behind it? Is this a somewhat reluctant support? Um, to talk to us about the the support you're getting from your agencies uh, on this endeavor. So, uh, uh, as I mentioned,
6: oh, go
3: ahead, Mark. you'll go, go for. I think you're San... really got a Great uptake on this. Yeah, for
6: San Diego, at least, you know, we're working with the city of San Diego, the San Diego Fire and Rescue Department, um, developing that QR code uh, for FALC Mobile Health Corp. In general, throughout the U.S., uh, there's a strong interest, and in FALC is revamping their their mental health awareness and this this has a strong possibility of being um added another component being added to it so that's a process that i will likely be a part of as they move forward with it and maybe gather the rest of you too
0: <laughs> i like this. dan i, I keep to you. dan i believe you're gonna you were gonna mention something as well
3: uh i was just going to say that um, I've been involved in the conversations uh, at Middlesex London uh, regarding the mental health initiatives that are now ongoing. They haven't specifically uh, drawn in this screening tool yet. They have it on the back burner because they're taking quite a comprehensive uh, approach to it with a study that is actually ongoing now uh, with the Faculty of Psychology at the University of Western Ontario. So There are a number of moving pieces to it. Uh, for now, we're having great success with the uh, early intervention and access to therapists on certain trigger events. The staff have responded extremely well to that. They feel very supported by it. Um, we have a few other uh, initiatives and measures in place to support them when they encounter these types of calls. Uh, we're quick to take them out of service and decompress uh, for access is readily available, usually 24-7. Not always, though. Uh, but we get them peer support within 24 hours. So the staff are relatively happy with that at this point, but there's always room for improvement. Any tool into that is you have to be determined with Middlesex London. But, uh, I applaud Falk, uh, Mark, if you, if you need help, reach out. Uh, we got a great team here and we'll, I'm sure each of us would be willing to help you with anything that you need to uh, that.
0: Are you so, for the person listening to this, that sat through this conversation and says, that sounds like a hell of a plan. How do I do this for my organization? What would you recommend as the first step to implementing some type of survey or some sort of process that can recognize these issues before they occur, before their providers in crisis, before they have a uh, a tragic Uh, death by suicide or uh, death by overdose as a result of substance abuse to cope with their mental health issues. You mentioned, Dan, at at the onset, this is a call to action. So what's that first step that they need to take in order to make this happen?
2: Well, my opinion is have a conversation with your leadership team. So start with the players that make the decisions there, whether that's union reps and chiefs, board of directors, and talk to them about what their options are if you have peer support your peer support team should be involved and i would say start with that okay Okay. this is a tool that doesn't cost anything that we're willing to share with anyone and like i said once you take the tool you can customize it to whatever your department wants to so you would need to engage hr and all of those players and make it your own. And then after that, you'd need a plan for implementing the training, but you're going to have to have the backing of your leadership and middle management. The people that are out there on the road, the battalion chief supervisors, they're going to need to be on board. So you're going to have to have support or it's going to fail.
1: I think that that's uh, real important to get that foundation set, you know, the buy in. Uh, and then Kimberlin kind of also alluded to is you've got to have a robust um peer support and or cism program in place uh, we do something very similar to what dan mentioned up in, in they do at middlesex we have a, a high intensity call uh, and we kind of have a little bit of a of a litmus uh, test for an incidents that prompt this um, you know high p- profile uh, another r- first responder anything that's going to end up big media type deal um, children um, pediatric codes to go ahead and have those discussions when do when does peer support reach out um, and when when do we pull trucks out of service to give them that time to to debrief it? But you got to have that foundation, and those those steps along the way are very important. And then also what I'm finding out is where do you send people? Um, and having that figured out so that when the when the tool is rolled out and it's implemented, you have that good list of available resources uh, for people to go to. And that's the, that's my Achilles heel that we're finding here in in Johnson County. Is having that that um, availability. We've got some really good uh, culturally competent clinicians, but they're overrun right now. And having depth to that list in order to um, uh, support the employees who take the test. So those are part of that building process before you roll it out. And those those needed things.
0: I think Kimberlin, I saw you nodding your head. I think we're both in the same boat here in St. Louis and St. Charles County. Uh, like you mentioned, Chris, um, there, there are clinicians available, but they are overworked. They're taxed. Um, it, it's just that we need more of them uh, in order to adequately take care of the, uh, the first responder uh, population here. So um, as we get ready to wrap up uh, part of the uh ASM, the Ambulance Service Manager course, is you present your projects to uh, to the class. Um, your project was selected as one to be presented at the Pinnacle EMS Leadership Conference, which was held last July in San Antonio. Chris, Mark, and Kimberlyn, you were there to present the project to, uh, at the conference. Talk to us a little bit. How was that experience for you?
2: I thought it was a great experience. It was very well-received. We had a very engaging group that listened to our presentation. They had wonderful questions. I think no one denies this is a need. It was that we're just supplying a plan for that culture change that we've already talked about, that early intervention. And everyone's more about cost. This is a low cost, high return kind of a plan. So I thought it was a great experience
1: You're on mute, Mark.
6: Yeah, I was just saying I can't add, add any more to that. What Kim Kimmel, Kimlin just said was was how I felt, too. Very well received. Um, a lot of great questions, and it's very low cost and very much needed.
1: And I, I just kind of wrap it up to summarize with the, the other two that it was a great success because it got attention. It got dialogue started. I mean, having this today. Um, the people who were in the room when we gave our presentation have reached out. I know to to a number of us at different times, we had some big, big players in the room too. I mean, um, mm-hmm. out from uh, First Watch was in there, was very engaged in the discussion. And um, I think, you know, if we can get to the point to where we, we are looking at the metrics associated with mental health as closely as we're looking to shoot times and response times, that's where we need to be with this at the end of the day. And, um, so having those, those, those key players and those, those industry leaders there, um, and to be that spokesperson, I think was, was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, going back to kind of where we all started with this, with Dan and the story that he brought to us, um, from his, his life. Um, I hope this is a, is a tribute to all those that, you know, Dan mentioned his friend in specific, and we all thought about different people that, um, we have lost uh, because we didn't get ahead of it and that the the discussions that are started and um things I think is a good tribute to those those memories uh, of those individuals
0: yeah you're you're right Chris I don't think there's anybody uh here with here today uh, that does not know someone um that has uh unfortunately died by suicide uh, as a result of pro- undiagnosed or unrecognized uh, mental health issues uh, that were partially brought on by uh, by their role in fire EMS or uh, law enforcement um, as we get ready to wrap up, any final words, final thoughts from you uh, before we uh, before we end for today?
1: I would just say you know again this is a call for action and looking for those opportunities, those little things um, we're kind of trialing a deal where we're getting our our 10 battalion chiefs together. Uh, twice a year and just having a, a cumulative debrief of where they, where are they and getting clinicians in and our Metro peer support um, as a starting point for this, try to get ahead of it for them and, and expand that out to the rest of the department. And as we get this rolled out, um, look for whatever opportunity we have to get ahead of this and have those discussions and have the create an environment where, where you can talk about things like that. Mark Jenkins.
2: Just the opportunity, I just wanted to say, Dan already said it best. I've been really blessed to be with these individuals and they're amazing. And it was an easy project to do whenever you work with great people. And we all are passionate about this. And so it was a no brainer for us. We're the best group. Sorry, Mark.
0: <laughs> no, I'll, no offense I'll, taken. I'll just wrap
3: up Mark by saying that when I pitched this Uh, screening to a concept to this group. Um, I did pitch it as a bit of a high risk, high high reward type of scenario from, that's just basically from a project management perspective, because we weren't sure how this was going to end up again, because there wasn't a lot of research to go on a lot. wasn't a lot of good information for us in terms of uh, early intervention and prevention um, along these lines. But I did also say to the group that if at a minimum, we can get this out there get this concept out there uh get some um traction with it get some interest in it then its mission accomplished so this has exceeded my wildest expectations and i'm so very very uh grateful to everybody for for getting this out there um i think chris said it very very well uh, it's it's a really wonderful tribute to those that we've lost um uh, we've lost too many and uh, I, I think back to my youth when I was privileged to run with Terry Fox on his Marathon of Hope. He was I don't know if uh, you in the States knew heard much about him. He lost a leg to cancer and he ran across Canada, or attempted to anyway, uh, ran a marathon a day. And I was lucky enough to run alongside Terry because my dad was a provincial police officer giving escort on the Trans-Canada Highway. And I, I remember a quote from him saying, somewhere the hurting must stop. I think that's an apt... Uh, description. Uh, so it's another big influence uh, on me. I told you I'm the sum of my experiences. I'm very passionate about uh, about these things. Um, nobody should get into this line of work with the intent to help and suffer so horribly. That just should never happen. So we, we have to really put a push on to put a stop to that.
0: Very well said, Dan. Very well said. Um, one more question for you. Not for you personally, but for you as a group, totally unrelated. Um, What is uh, the last book you read or book you're currently reading that you would recommend someone read?
2: I'm I'm reading a business etiquette book, but I don't remember the title. I just know. And it's uh, really interesting about. Etiquette on the corporate level, but it applies to EMS and going to conferences, and it's been very helpful. But I don't know the whole title of it. Sorry.
5: That's okay. I just got through reading two books that I thought were really impactful from uh, a stoicism standpoint. One, Meditations, obviously, which is a, a big time psychology book. Uh, the other one is a, a book called Beyond Tallulah that kind of talks about cha- you know, tackling really large challenges from, from very humble beginnings. I, I think it ties a lot of, uh, a uh, lot, lot of parts of both of these into, uh, you know, this challenge. I mean, somebody has got to tackle it. It's not going to be easy. So you can't try, you know, why, why even worry about it?
1: I just finished, um, one of the series from, um, uh, Oh, James Harriet, um, All Creatures Great and Small. He's a uh, vet in Yorkshire in the uh, late 30s. Uh, and they're great little stories of uh, his encounters with farmers and animals. And it's kind of relatable a little bit in this regard, but it's just a very relaxing read. Uh, and I've just started the book, uh, Surrounded by Idiots, um, which actually talks about our disk um, survey results that we, um, we took in ASM. Uh, We started a new development program and the the first class that graduated, they had to do a kind of a book report presentation and three of them did a report on this and it really sounded fascinating of just understanding people and since we did the disc report to kind of dive further into that. So going from a very leisure, pleasure reading to more of an academic side. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Mark, Dan, anything? Only thing
6: I've been reading is... Anything related to cast certification for the last three? Oh.
3: Yeah, yeah, I get that.
6: They don't have uh, those in Canada,
1: so I don't know if Dan's read.
2: Not.
3: <laughs> well, I was laughing at your second title because I thought you were going in a totally different direction. With <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, I just finished reading uh, "Leading" by Sir Alex Ferguson, the legendary former manager of Manchester United, and it was um, it's an easy read. And it's, it's remarkable in the way in which you can surprisingly relate, uh, when you're in a leadership position and the little things that you can pick up from how that man managed to successfully lead such a large club, everything. In sight, um, that's not common in sports. Those guys have a shelf life. Uh, once they kind of start losing, games, they're out the door again and, I'll just leave you with one little thing that I learned that was fascinating to me that I've I've tried hard to employ myself. Uh, He took the time to speak with and uh, get to know uh, the individuals in the laundry room who looked after the uniforms, uh, the people at the gates taking the tickets. Every single individual that worked for that massive organization, he knew something about them. He knew them by name and he got to understand something about every single one of them. Um, that it's, a it's just about the most comprehensive form of leadership I think I have ever, um, uh, heard of. So I, I, I've taken that on board and now I've made an effort down in our logistics department and a few other departments. I'm, I'm making the rounds and I'm getting to know some more people in our rather large organization. I think it's really good advice.
0: Outstanding. Outstanding. I think that's a great place to wrap up for today. Uh, Dan, Alex, Chris, Mark. Kimberlyn, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedules to join me today. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, for those of you that are interested to follow us on social media, uh, we're on Instagram, not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. Once again, that's at not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast email not dot a dot at gmail dot com. Once again, that's not dot at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.